But first, as you've been hearing in the news, BC, well, all of Canada and in BC, that means Vancouver and Victoria, will be left out of the cruise season. Not a huge surprise given cruise ships have been banned from our ports, but it's not Canadian rules. It is the Americans that have come up with a change to the legislation. The bill actually uh, has changed a little bit since it first got introduced. Uh, The very first version said just for the time of the pandemic and just while Canadian waters are closed, for the purpose of Alaska law or U.S. law, excuse me, we're going to consider Alaska a foreign port. The one that came through actually didn't do that. It said uh, uh, same time limits, right? Only during the pandemic and only while Canada's waters are closed. we're going to email Canada on the way by, and that counts as a stop. All right, that was Jesse Keel, Alaska State Senator. He was speaking on the Mike Smith Show. That, uh, he was saying it a bit tongue-in-cheek, saying it was a bit funny, but that means that cruise ships don't have to stop in international ports. Those would be Vancouver and Victoria. The Senate has approved the change. It now goes to President Joe Biden for approval, something the premier of this province said he didn't think was going to happen. Now, tourism officials in Alaska say that legislation legislation is a lifeline for the businesses that depend on tourism. What about businesses here that depend on tourism? Let's bring in Claire Newell, the president of Travel Best Bets, to talk a bit more about this. Claire, good afternoon. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jill. You know, I was trying to explain this last night to my husband. Um, He didn't really understand it, you know. And what I told him was that this is not a shock. We've been watching this for a while. This bill had been introduced and it actually went quite quickly through the Senate. And then yesterday it passed the House of Representatives. And what this means is that they've passed something called the Alaska Tourism Restoration Act. It is good news for Alaska. I mean, the cruise industry is worth 1.2 billion U.S. to that state's economy. So it's great for them. Um, But what it means is that the ships won't have to stop in Canada. And literally within hours, Jill, of that bill passing through the House of Representatives, a number of cruise lines, including Holland America, Princess, Carnival, they all announced sailings to Alaska starting in late July that will bypass all BC ports. And that is a real blow to the tourism industry um, here, here in Canada, particularly in BC with Vancouver, Victoria, Nanaimo, Prince Rupert, all had um, their ports of call that a lot of the cruise ships stop in. To the tune for BC, roughly $2.72 billion. That was in 2019, so prior to the pandemic, and almost 17,500 jobs. Like, we've built a whole industry and many, many businesses around the cruise ships. So it's pretty devastating to hear this is going to happen and that we're not going to be part of it. And when you look at what they're doing, because I think even our premier had said he didn't think this was going to be happening so quickly. And like you said, boom, then we saw all of these cruise lines saying this is when we're going to start sailing again. What are they doing as far as making sure people are safe? Well, what's interesting about this is that this is this all subject to the requirements that were set out by the CDC, which said that they could start as long as they had proof that at least uh, 98% of their passengers, or so 98% of their crew and 95% of their passengers were fully vaccinated. And so what their cruise lines are doing is they're racing now to actually get all of their crew 
fully vaccinated in time for these sailings. And um, they've made it easy. There's a number of ports in the U.S. that they can now dock at and they can get vaccinated all their because these the the cruise ships have people from all over the world coming to work on board them so many of those countries don't have access to the vaccines but the u.s has kind of made that possible for them and then they're going to have to get proof how that's going to look from the passengers they have not really you know got that clear but the people who are going to be on those ships will be fully vaccinated but Canada isn't even allowing um, technical stops here which I think that many people working in the Canadian travel industry were hoping so that there could be whether it's fueling or some sort of technical stop in Vancouver or Victoria to satisfy the Jones Act which is really what they bypass now by pushing through the Alaska Tourism Restoration Act that's not being allowed. Uh, the, the Minister of Transport has made it very clear that no large ships will be allowed to stop in Canadian uh, waters until at least, I think it's February 28th of 2022, which is pretty devastating. And, you know, I, I, I worry about, like, if I'm being the devil's advocate, what does this mean long term? And I know that um, here that John Horgan is saying that he's he's quite convinced and he's quite confident that the temporary measures uh, that they've put in place for this uh, until the can- Canadian border lifts the restrictions. He says he's you know taking great comfort in that. As being just the devil's advocate in me, I worry that it was really easy to bypass these BC ports. And what if they decide to do it long term? Like it's great for you know, make a great, make America great again. You know, if you take that mentality, their, their ports get the income. Their ships don't have to deal with going into these Canadian ports and their passengers don't have to have passports if they're American. They can just continue on to U.S. ports. So you worry that, you know, like tax, we were only supposed to have it temporarily and now we have it. We live with it all the time. You know, we just don't want it to impact long-term RBC ports. Well, and that's it. And I think what so many people are worried about is it did pass so quickly. There was even uh, some uh, kind of pushback on social media directed at the premier saying, don't underestimate Alaska. Look what we can do. And that is the big question. Do we have any guarantee that it will come back once ships are allowed to come to Victoria, to Vancouver? Will they come back? Well, the thing is that they're saying that there are, you know, these clauses that this is a temporary measure. But is there any guarantee? I don't know. Um, I do know that uh, John Horgan is like looking, scheduling meetings with U.S. officials to review their plans. But in my books, there is no guarantee. They can push through what they want to push through. They did it for this. And yes, it's temporary now. Let's just hope it's not permanent. You could the damage to the the ports right across Canada, because if you look at the whole industry, it's $4.278 billion in revenue in 2019, right before the pandemic, because you take a look at the whole Eastern Canada and when they're doing Canada, New England sailings and all of that, that could be bypassed as well. And so it's it's really worrying to anyone in the Canadian tourism industry. I'm sure that anyone working at the ports is really worried about this. It's um, yeah, they say it's temporary, but you know, I I, I just worry. Is there anything that draws people specifically in that would make it so you really want, if you were given the choice, you would really want to board a cruise ship in Vancouver as opposed to Seattle? 
Well, certainly, I think when there was a different political administration in the U.S., a lot of people really liked the fact that they could come to Vancouver without having to go to um, into the U.S. They could still see Alaskan. It was it was easy in and out of Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver is such a beautiful city. It's on so many places uh, or so many lists as one of the top cities in the world to visit. And you would think that um, that would take us a long way. And the hope is, is that that will but if it's easy and the ships just decide that they aren't going to include many Canadian ports, well, maybe they'll they'll continue with Vancouver. But what about Victoria, which has come to you know rely on some ports uh, port stops by these cruise lines, and it may not be as many as Vancouver, but it's certainly significant. Same thing with Nanaimo and Prince Rupert; they've come to rely on that income. It's so significant when a ship docks for just one day. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's even just a worry that they will reduce the number of, of stops in BC ports. And looking at cruising itself, like you said, they've got these these benchmarks, uh, 98% of the crew vaccinated, 95% of passengers. Right. Uh, from what I read, too, they're still trying to figure out uh, what will mask wearing look like? Will there be social distancing or, or what what else will be different? Uh, I remember talking to you about cruising when the pandemic was just starting, and it was one of the first industries that was so significantly impacted. Yes. Do you see it? Is, are, is there confidence coming back? Do you, Are you hearing from people that people are eager to get back on these vessels? No question. It's actually one of the most popular things that we're booking at the moment. Sailings right into 2022 and some into 2023. People want to get back on board. The the ships are going to do everything in their power. And at this stage of the game, it is really any sailings that I've heard that have been announced are you have to be fully vaccinated. So they're going to they're going to take it slow. They're going to reduce the amount of people on board so the capacity won't be what people uh, have seen in the past. They're going to still put in social distancing measures, like you said, some mask wearing. And they've changed even the, the, the systems for the way that the air is circulated. So it'll be very interesting to watch how these sailings do. We've seen sailings happen in Europe and we've seen them in Asia. And they've, they, they've certainly been happening since last July in other parts of the world, but they they have not been happening in the U.S. or, or Canada. And uh, not in Canada in the foreseeable future either. Well, Claire, we're going to watch it and see what happens with this. But thanks so much for joining us uh, for your take on it. Thanks, Jill. Well, a lot of questions were asked yesterday after during the COVID-19 briefing. The Premier said that as of Tuesday, the circuit breaker restrictions will be lifted. And that had a lot of people wondering, what does that mean about restaurants? Does that mean we go back to inside dining, the ability to do that, how it was about five weeks ago? Earlier today on Mornings with Simi, Ian Tostenson was speaking. He's the CEO of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. So our guidance to restaurants as saying you can open Tuesday and the reason is is that and, and this was the trick yesterday he didn't want to quite say it midnight on Monday the health order that stopped restaurants from having in-store dining expires so at 1201 on Tuesday and that he was implying that um, you know restaurants can be open so um, I think the reason he didn't say it SME, and we were saying the same thing is we're really asking people to just have a very muted long weekend, and I don't think the Premier wants to get everybody excited too much. So we're saying, you know, enjoy a really muted long weekend, but we will be able to open on Tuesday. 
All right. So what does that mean then for people who run restaurants? So Owen Coomer joins me once again, the operations manager at Tap House Coquitlam. Owen, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, no worries. Thanks very much for having me again. What are you planning for Tuesday? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I had a uh, little bit of a uh, you know speech that I wanted to say and talk about it because I was ex- expecting that even though the circuit breaker was going to end Monday night, that the whole thing it says is that there is going to be an announcement about talking about where the actual restart plan was. And so I didn't assume that yeah, Tuesday instantly we'd be you know able to open up for in-house dining again and so on and so forth. And at 12.21 today, we finally got an email uh, while I was waiting for the program, and uh, it definitely says, yes, Tuesday. And it came from Ian Tossetson, and I guess they've gone through the channels. And yes, we're open up for in-house dining, which is going to be what it was like as of March 21st, 2021. So still having the COVID restrictions uh, and the uh, limited capacity and so on. So what does that look like for us? Well, it means that we're going to be scrambling over the long weekend, trying to figure out uh, to get staffing back in place for that. When it sounds like that's going to be an obstacle for a lot of people, and Ian Tostin said, said during that interview as well that restaurants that currently have a patio are in a better position because they've been operating and using the patio throughout this the, throughout these restrictions. Uh, will you be able to be in that position to open up in in indoor dining on Tuesday? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, both of our locations, we've had a very, very busy, uh, busy April, busy May. Um, and it's been great because we've had a somewhat of a covered patio in Coquitlam and a fully covered patio in Surrey. Um, we have been operating and we've been doing quite well. And uh, people have been very respectful of, uh, you know, uh, seating on the patio and enjoying it. And the customers are great. Staff's been great. Uh, it's just, Unfortunately, you know, both of our locations are 9,000 square feet. The other one is 10,000 square feet. And, you know, to, we've, we've had to lay off staff. We've had, had to uh, reduce our staffing almost another 50% when they did this in-house dining, or sorry, the, uh, the, the patio dining. And so for us, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Um, I mean, the hospitality industry is very uh, volatile. Uh, you know, in the last year and a bit, we've had two kind of major shakeups, which has caused a lot of layoffs, you know, for uh, you know, our industry. And uh, we're definitely going to have a little bit of a challenge trying to find staff that want to return back into this industry because it's not guaranteed, uh, you know, having a position anymore because of all these uh, rules and regulations and changes. I mean, even the extension of this patio dining that they did five weeks ago, it was only supposed to be two weeks. And so, you know, we were hesitant about bringing staff and then obviously they extended it by five weeks. Well, with this, this time around, we were given a date. We were given a date last time. It's just Four days is in a lot of time, you know, especially to call back a lot of staff that may have gotten a job and are working somewhere else. And if we were to call them and say, hey, can you come back to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, they're probably going to be like, well, I'd like to give my company that I'm currently working with a two weeks notice or something like that. You know, I, mean, I don't think it's fair for anybody. I wish they, they kind of give us a little bit more notice than hey, by the way, in four days, you can open up fully again, you know, in a COVID world. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's what a lot of people, especially people in the industry are thinking, because we've talked about this and talked about the fact you don't just flip a switch and suddenly be ready to open up again and increase capacity. Uh, Even the way it was handled yesterday when the Premier said that, Bonnie Henry came back and said, it's not, it's going to be more like a dimmer switch. Uh, Don't, you know, don't get too excited. And we also heard, I I was with you on the wording of it was, next week, we're going to 
learn more about the reopening plan. It wasn't clear that we were getting the reopening plan until I think yesterday when they said, yes, on Tuesday, the reopening plan, circuit breaker is done. So uh, I would imagine from your point of view, that's got to be frustrating well, that it's that it's all of that kind of mixed messaging. A hundred percent. And I mean, and that's the thing is, is that... Uh, with, with all due respect, you know, to Ian Tossin, because, you know, he's a phenomenal guy. The, the fact is, is Tuesday, as far as, again, based on the wording, it said that just to let everybody know, we're going to do the restart plan. Well, the restart plan, uh, if I was going to, you know, basically see in the wording of it, it would have been like, come, you know, May 31st, which is the following Monday, come June 1st, we're going to reopen in-house dining. You know, because but we're going to have the restrictions until this day. Like, that's kind of what I was reading into it, it, it you know. And then all of a sudden when, you know, Horgan uh, ended up mentioning, uh, you know, the circuit breaker ends on the, the you know, on Monday night. I, yeah, I had tons of people asking me, they're like, oh, everything's back to normal. In-house signing's back to normal. But that's not really what it said. So it's just, it's confusing, you know. And um, I, I wish, uh, you know, again, I, on Tuesday I was expecting okay, here's what it's going to look like. June 1st, we're going to allow in-house dining. You know, uh, June 30th, we're going to, you know, maybe change the hours of operation to extend our uh, license again. Like, I wish there was a little bit more set plan, you know, but uh, but then again, I mean, I can just be happy that we're, we're reopening again and we can start uh, getting more people jobs again and uh, we'll do, you know, better as business and so on. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, it's, I can't imagine what a lot of other companies are going through. I mean, again, at least we've been open mm-hmm. uh, and we're doing quite well. And we've, you know, got food stock and we've got a, at least uh, a, a brigade of, of people at, at each location. It's just some places that haven't really opened up fully in, in basically almost two months. I feel bad for them. You know, I can't imagine what's, what, what they're thinking like, you know, and how, again, how are they going to get the staffing for it? Like, and again, whether people are wanting to go back into the industry, you know, whether they're like maybe considering, you know, going back to school or changing their field, because, again, it's not the way it used to be. It's not almost a guaranteed job. There, there could be changes. I mean, for all intents and purposes, that come September, October, there might be another change, because even with people vaccinated and stuff like that, ones if there's another wave or so on and so forth. So. Yeah, it's scary times, that's for sure. Well, and, and I think if I heard correctly, uh, Ian did say that in the interview again with Simi, that there there is not going to be another shutdown. The the opening will happen and restaurants are going to stay open. Uh, so that, that sounded quite positive. And maybe those details that you reference will come Tuesday as far as the being able to serve alcohol later or the license is going back to, to where they were. But it's got to be frustrating too, because like you said, restaurants that haven't been open, they're not going to open on Tuesday. There's no way they're going to be ready to. Not at all, especially with the long weekend. And again, that hesitation that people have, whether they wanted to get back into this line of uh, line of work. Um, I mean, I, I just, I, I, I feel, I feel bad for so many people. Um, and, and, you know, on top of even just the, with the restaurant aspect, like we haven't even, they haven't even discussed even what's happening with the nightclubs. They haven't really discussed what's happening with, um, you know, the casinos and, and that seems to have not been part of the plan too. So where is that? Where, where, what about all those people too, that are in the hospitality industry that haven't had jobs? They haven't even been part of that equation yet. So again, maybe part of this restart plan that they're talking on Tuesday will maybe open up a little bit more of the channels and I'm hoping, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is definitely uh, the most challenging, but yet most rewarding times I find being in the industry, you know, just because, uh, you know, we can't cry over spilled milk, but we can definitely just do our best to, you know, remain open, make sure the guests are happy and the staff are happy and, 
you know, do our due diligence every day. <laughs> All right. Well, the, we'll leave it at that. Owen, thanks so much for coming back on the show to talk about this, uh, to bring your perspective. Appreciate it. Uh, have a good and safe weekend and a good Absolutely. Tuesday. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend. Thank you. All right, we are talking about changes coming to the mortgage stress test in Canada. The country's federal banking regulator tightening the rules when it comes for home buyers, when it comes to home buyers and qualifying for the mortgage. The increased issuance of mortgages with high loan to income ratios is of most concern. At an individual level, Canadians need to be prudent in taking on new debt. It's important to understand that the recent rapid increases in home prices are not normal. Even without a shock, some of the factors that cause prices to rise fast could reverse later, and that could leave some households with less equity in their homes. That is Bank of Canada Governor Tiff Macklem. Let's talk more about this and bring in the CEO of the Canadian Mortgage Brokers Association of BC. Samantha Gale is on the line with us now. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, What is your response first? I I know you've written a letter about this and there's been a lot of feedback to the the announcement of the the changes coming. What is your response to these changes coming in on June 1st? Well, I I suppose uh, right off the bat, I can say it was expected. Uh, The consultation, I, I think it was more of a formality than anything else. We did write a consultation letter uh, just pointing out some of the pitfalls in, in the policy. Um, but just to kind of review what the policy impacts are, uh, I, can, I can let everybody know that it's going to start as of June 1st. As of June 1st, both insured and uninsured mortgage borrowers are going to be subject to what we call a stricter stress test when they qualify for their mortgage. Um, so what that means is that... Um, uh, they will need to qualify. Uh, they're going to get the contract rate on their mortgage, but in order to qualify for that mortgage, they will need to have uh, uh, be able to need to qualify for two percent above that contract rate or a new floor rate of five point two five percent. And it's going to be on both the insured and uninsured mortgages. Shortly after OSFI announced these changes relating to uninsured. Uh, mortgages, uh, the Department of Finance said it would follow suit with insured mortgages as well. So it's for both kinds of mortgages. We think it's going to roughly impact one in five mortgage borrowers. Um, actually, this comes from uh, data from the Bank of Canada. Um, and it's probably going to be felt more strongly by first-time buyers who are putting down less than 20%. It's probably going to cut their buying power down between somewhere between four and five percent. What that means is, you know, if if a family was able to afford a mortgage of four hundred and forty-two thousand, uh, it's going to be dropped now by four hundred to four hundred twenty-two thousand. So quite a significant drop in buying power. Um, so it's it's going to have a dramatic impact on uh, the ability of. Uh, buyers to afford housing. And of course, as we know, um, home owner affordability is at a, uh, it's a critical issue right now. It's very challenging. The market's on fire. Um, the uh, prices are escalating. We're seeing multiple offers. Uh, the forecast is for the housing market to slow down um, in the coming months. But 
so far we've seen prices uh, not go down. They're not being impacted, even though the activity is, is slowing down. So we don't know quite what is about to come, but we know that there's a problem with the supply of housing. There simply isn't enough supply to meet the needs um, of, of people who are both uh, wanting to own and to rent. Uh, when people can't afford or have less ability to afford to buy, it'll impact the rental market. There'll be more demand in the rental market and it'll put pressure on rents. Uh, so we would have liked to have seen some kind of analysis about the impact uh, on the rental market with this proposal. Um, so all, all kinds of, uh, of, of issues here, um, while it's the, the rationale behind the proposal uh, is to ensure that people can afford their mortgages, um, it, it has these unintended consequences. Uh, you've talked in the past and in the letter as well uh, to a more targeted approach when we're talking about stress testing. What would that look like? Uh, well, um, you know, the, uh, the problem with the stress test is that it's right across the board. Uh, it isn't uh, targeted to any kind of uh, buyer or any kind of uh, a homeowner. Um, so we could have made it um, uh, specific to different geographic uh, areas. Um, we've got a problem right now with uh, people with um, greater purchasing power buying in, in areas uh, where there's historically been less market activity. Uh, so the, for instance, the province of Nova Scotia, Halifax, as an example, we see people with um, extra cash uh, going into the uh, the house buying market in um, in Nova Scotia, uh, so that's you know serving to increase the uh, market activity, the cost of housing, the prices of houses in Nova Scotia. We could have seen a more targeted approach, looking at uh, uh, people who are investing uh, to rent or perhaps to flip. Some of these people are flippers. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, homeowners, people who are owner occupiers, are able to afford their housing. Um, and so a more nuanced approach would specifically target this more uh, opportunist activity in the housing market. Right. Do you think it's justified, though, if we look at, at Canadians, and I know it's different now, we've seen housing prices in many places, Vancouver included, really go up. Uh, they certainly didn't slow down during the pandemic. Uh, is it tied at all to a rate of foreclosure in that people are taking on mortgages that they can't afford and are losing their homes? And, and should that not be one of the indicators or the factors when increasing the stress test? Absolutely. Um, the um, the practice of implementing stress tests uh, is a generally accepted policy uh, around the globe. However, um, it, it's not necessarily something that um, uh, is borne out in terms of foreclosures. As a general um, rule, people hang on to their housing. Um, it's, it's not like buying a car or putting, uh, you know, debt on your credit card. People, um, you know, make sure that their mortgage payments are paid. They want to stay in their homes. Uh, when people are pushed financially, they tend to be very good at ensuring that their mortgage payments are made. They, they, they just are. 
Um, it's an appreciating asset. It's some people call it good debt uh, because you're you've got to live somewhere after all. Uh, if you were putting your money down on a mortgage, well, you'd be putting money down on rent and helping to pay the mortgage of your of your landlord. Um, so I I don't think you're right. I don't think there was evidence uh, justified by foreclosure rates that supported this this approach. It's it's forecasting a problem in the future, uh, and we we don't yet know. We we don't know if the foreclosure rates would have been increased at all a year or two years from now. Right. And, and you make a great point that, that it is the kind of debt people don't look at that lightly and don't think, oh, I'm going to foreclose. No big deal. I'll just go find a new place to live. People purchase homes and live in homes because they want to. And, and that's where they live. Um, what about the idea of, of other personal debt? Does this bring into account? I mean, you have, kind of have to have all of that uh, in, in play when you're applying for a mortgage and if you're if you're too maxed out that's going to be a factor but nothing stops somebody after they've got the mortgage after they've qualified maybe they've purchased a house there's nothing at that point that stops people from taking personal loans from buying vehicles from spending all this money that would put them in a more precarious position you've you've asked uh, an excellent question um one of the challenges with the stress test is it's targeting mortgage uh mortgage debt but uh, to acquire personal debt, it's very, very easy. Um, in most cases, borrowers don't have to qualify uh, for car loans or for credit card uh, limits. And in, in fact, credit card limits are often increased arbitrarily by the, uh, by the lender uh, based on use. So the more you use your credit card, the more uh, of a limit, higher of a limit that you get. And um, what's also a challenge about personal debt that's readily given is um, that it can be actually, depending upon how the institution, the financial institution works, it can be added to the uh, the mortgage through an instrument called a collateral mortgage. Um, the collateral mortgage enables a financial institution to secure the personal debt against uh, against the mortgage. Um, and often people don't realize that. Um, and we have suggested that the, the granting of debt, personal debt, which is secured by a collateral mortgage, ought to be a focus. Uh, it's, it's simply too easy to get car loans. Um, and, uh, it, you know, we get bombarded with, uh, with offers all the time, and uh, and there's absolutely no focus from the government on this kind of personal debt, which probably gets people more in trouble um, than, as we say, the the household debt, the mortgage debt, where people are really committed to ensuring that those costs, those payments are made. And uh, just before I let you go, with these rules changes coming to the stress test uh, on June 1st, how long do you think until we'll start seeing the impact of that on, like you said, people that then maybe will stay in rentals rather than, than try and purchase? Or how, how long will it take till we see the effects of it? Uh, that's a good question. The uh, stress test, uh, the new one, comes in June 1st. I, I think that we'll see a frenzy of activity before June first, uh, as people try to get in under the wire, and it, you know, it may be right away. Um, it may be right away, and it, it could be that the market adjusts uh, a year or two from now. 
But I, I think um, following June 1st, there'll definitely be an impact. All right. Samantha Gale, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, if you talk to people living in some of the United States, uh, there was a real shift. And I was talking uh, to someone saying it got to a point where it almost seemed overnight. Everywhere you turned, there was an incentive to get vaccinated. There was a gift card or you got this or you got this. Uh, One state having the lottery. I think it was Ohio that had five people with potentially winning a million dollars each. There were a lot of incentives to get people to get vaccinated. And look at the numbers in the states now. It's what closing in on 40% that have had both shots of vaccine as states start to reopen. Well, not quite the same here in Canada, but we are seeing a few places offer some vaccine incentives. This one is in Interior Health. And just before we get to to, uh, talking to the owner of this sports club bar and grill, take a listen to the Interior Health Chief Medical Health Officer, Dr. Albert de Villiers, who was asked about this and seems to be in favour. So people might be motivated because they want to travel so that's kind of a rule a kind of a rule kind of an incentive and then there's the other one that's kind of like like this as an example you do something and then you get an award either financial or food or some other some other benefit i think the the most successful one is probably what we call social norming it's kind of like peer pressure if you see that everybody else around you has got vaccine and you see what the vaccine actually does and it's actually helping everybody and you know that 70, 80% of your friends have got vaccine, that usually motivates most people as well to actually get vaccine. So a Vernon, B.C. restaurant owner, and this restaurant owner also happens to be a local eye doctor. He is jumping on that trend of offering some incentives for people to get vaccinated. And joining me to talk more about what exactly he's offering is the owner, Dr. Hussein Hollins. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Jill. Thank you. I know this is getting a lot of attention and we don't talk as much about vaccine related promotions in Canada as perhaps we've been looking at in the United States. But you've come up with a pretty innovative way of maybe encouraging people to get vaccinated. What are what are you offering people? Um, Well, our promotion, it's we've called it chicken wings to combat COVID. And um, in Vernon, in Vernon at our uh, at our pub, basically, we're offering um, a, a pound of chicken wings per week for six months. So that's the prize. Uh, and it's basically a draw. Um, so we've got about a month to uh, to enter. And the winner of the draw gets the prize. And in order to enter, you have to show proof of your vaccination. So one is all you need if you've had one shot. Um, and just a picture or a... Uh, you know, a card or what have you to show that you've done that. And so one, if you can prove that, uh, then you put the person in a draw. Now, does does that person, to get in the draw, do you have to purchase anything? Do you have to be a patron of, uh, obviously not indoors right now, but do you have to be a patron of the restaurant? Um, yeah, we do have a, we do have a patio and um, so we are open. So yeah, it's meant for, for customers, you know. Right. Uh, what kind of response have you had so far? I know it's still pretty new, but what kind of response has it has? What has the response been like? Yeah, we've had a absolutely great great response. Much more than than uh, you know, much more attention than we thought. We've had um, a lot of response on social media. 
um, I would say 95% extremely positive people being, uh, you know, super, super happy with it and, and, uh, you know, spelling that out on Facebook and Instagram and so forth. We've had a couple of thumbs down and that's pretty well it. We <laughs> sort of expected that we've, we've had, uh, also a lot of calls into the restaurant of um, people who have never come there before and very positive with the calls, you know, thanks for doing that. Like we're going to come by now and, you know, thanks for supporting the community, et cetera. So yeah, it's been very, very positive. I'm not surprised that there might be a couple of people who who don't think it's right or that, but I understand Interior Health, which is the health authority in that region where uh, your your restaurant, the Roster Sports Club Bar and Grill, uh, falls under Interior Health, and they're in favor of this. Yeah, they are. We haven't talked to them, but there was a news story on Global last night, and the uh, you know the. Um, the one of the administration from Interior Health was very positive with, uh, you know, with his comments on uh, just the idea of, of uh, you know, awareness and um, moving forward with the vaccines, right? I think one of the, the comments made was, uh, it's great to motivate people to get the word out there. Vaccination is good. That's how we're going to get out of uh, this pandemic. But I think it also came with uh, a cautionary note saying, uh, but remember, don't only eat chicken wings. Yeah, and I think that's, that's fair enough. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it was tongue in cheek and, um, and uh yeah, absolutely. We don't want anybody to eat just just chicken wings. It's it's one order of chicken wings per week. But absolutely, um, you know, we're not encouraging chicken wings as your only meal. <laughs> it's probably a good way too. As we get more and more people vaccinated, you would know, like anybody in the service industry, how difficult it's been getting people back out there, uh, getting people to come in. If somebody's won chicken wings a week for six months, they're going to be in there every week, likely claiming their prize and probably buying some other things as well. Yeah, certainly we... Um Certainly, you know, having uh, having people in the re- in the restaurant is, um, you know, they'll be buying probably something else as well, and they may not redeem every single week of uh, of chicken wings, but maybe they will. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. How has it been in uh, for your restaurant to, with the circuit breaker, the current restrictions, uh, with the restrictions we've had in the past uh, as far as uh, making sure you can maybe get people on the patio and, and trying to stay afloat during all of this? Um, yeah, I, I mean, so first of all, the, the roster, we're actually a, we're a sports club and a, and a restaurant or pub. So we actually have two components to our business. So um, we're a squash and racquetball club on the one hand, and then we've got a associated sports bar um, on the on the other hand. So we've been dealing with uh, you know COVID on two fronts, you know, and certainly we've seen firsthand the effect of COVID on our business. Uh, you know, first of all, from a sport perspective. So again, we have a um, you know a very active membership of squash and racquetball players. Also, we play or we have um, activities like volleyball and spike ball at the roster. And, you know, we've seen the effects um, from a, on physical health, on fitness, you know, on a, a social place to, to be, um, and then the trickle-down effect on mental health as well. So certainly we've, we've uh, seen the, the effect of COVID from that perspective. 
And then second of all, you know, as an as an employer, um, and of course the newer the new restrictions that have come in recently, um, or maybe not as you know a couple months ago on dine-in, that certainly has um, made a had a big impact on our restaurant. And over the last, you know, things were we were doing reasonably well up until that last dine-in um, set of restrictions, and you know we've certainly had to had to again cut hours lay some people off um and certainly we see the uh trickle down effect of that from an economic perspective of our you know our staff who are loyal and excellent um and uh you know the impacts that 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 has trickling down to our whole community so um the yeah it's been it's been a tough six or eight weeks we're hoping the restrictions will be uh will be um decreased coming soon uh, but certainly for us moving to patio only has been difficult which would explain also uh, why doing this to get the awareness out there to maybe get people thinking about this talking about this uh, is makes sense because that gets you uh, possibly a step closer to reopening and to getting back to some kind of normal yeah no absolutely i mean the you know my perspective again i am a, a medical doctor and the background in public health also. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward is that vaccines are very effective. And clearly this is the best way for, you know, everybody for to um, combat COVID basically and to get everybody back to, um, to normal as soon as possible or at least near normal as soon as possible. Um, so uh, definitely the vaccines are the, are going to move us in that direction and basically we wanted to see if we could do a small thing or us or do a small part in terms of uh you know drawing attention um to the to the vaccine initiative you know and uh maybe if there's some people that are that are on the fence regarding it maybe it'll help a little bit um where i think we're lucky in bc that a lot of People are very supportive of the vaccine, but not everybody. And some people are just busy with life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're available to get, maybe they're, they, they can get the vaccine, but life is busy. And if, uh, you know, if we're able to, um, you know, provide a little bit of awareness or push them in the right direction, then um, that, that's what we're looking for, basically. Well, and it's such a, um, a different position, I think, from most in that, like you said, you're a medical doctor, but you're also the owner of this sports club, Bar and Grill. So uh, you see so many different things or different aspects of this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, we see it really firsthand, like I said, at, uh, at the roster, um, and then I see it in my work as well. Um, but at the roster, you know, I, I mean, I'm a avid squash player and Personally, you know the the effect of uh, of COVID on sport. I see that at at our sports club and and how it, you know, it's physical health, it's mental health. I mean, and the, and there's so much trickle down effect to to uh, you know to sport being restricted. Um, so you know that's major major in my from my perspective. And then and then the other big thing, of course, being a business owner and um, you know with all the challenges that come with that in this situation when you're, um, you know, hugely, hugely restricted, um, 
in terms of your business, you know, we see it firsthand, right? And, and uh, um, you know, if there's a way that we can move forward in the right direction, I mean, of course, we support all the, all the, um, all the government initiatives, but, um, you know, but they are difficult and we hope the numbers go down and hope people get vaccinated. All right. So it's an interesting initiative. Dr. Hollins, thanks so much for joining us, for talking more about that. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And again, thanks, thanks so much for having me. Well, people are being advised to stay close to home, to have a muted long weekend. And for a lot of people, it is the unofficial start to summer. Summer, also a time when perhaps we have more time to do some reading. So we thought it would be a good idea to talk about what books are on the must-read list. Some suggestions, and who better than the manager of the book Warehouse, Marianne Yazedjian, who joins us on the line now. Marianne, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, Let's talk about maybe the most popular or books that uh, people are talking about and buzzing about saying you must read these ones. There are so many great books out right now. I've got stacks and stacks around me, so I'm going to try to... uh, focus on some really good ones. Um, One that we highly recommend at all of our stores, if you're into thrillers, is Dan Calla's Lost Immunity. Are you familiar with that one? I am, and I'm glad you brought that one up because I was concerned that maybe with everybody being so focused on COVID, it might be too much, but then I am hearing really good things about it. Exactly. I kind of thought the same thing too, like we're living this every day, have been for over a year, why would we want to read about it? But then you start reading and it's just such a great, it's it's like a fast-paced medical thriller that just draws you right in. So I feel like you you kind of get to have a bit of escapism in the book, but you're also a little bit thinking, "Mm, mm mm-hmm, I can see. I can see this happening. Also interesting to read a book. I know it's not his first book, but that's uh, thinking about that too. While you're reading it, you're reading this book written by an emergency room physician. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And he wrote this book before COVID even happened. It just was a, a strange coincidence. So, you know, he, he's done his research. He knows what he's talking about. All right. That's, uh, that's one right up on the list. So hopefully if anybody else had those concerns too, we'll put those concerns uh, to rest. What else are you surrounded by? One of my favorites of the last couple of months is called Satellite Love by Genki Ferguson. And full disclosure, Genki actually works at our Broadway store, but he uh, is an amazing novelist. This is his first book. It's about a young woman who lives in southern Japan who falls in love with a satellite. <laughs> and it is beautifully written, this ethereal tale. It's about loneliness, uh, connections to people around you. It's just one of the most beautifully written books I've read in a very long time. What an interesting idea, too, for a storyline. Mm-hmm. It's very creative. All right. And you're supporting somebody who works at the store. What, what, better, yeah. a little, what, what better feeling to have there? We do love our local authors here. <laughs> we do. We sure do. Uh, what else have you got? Uh, one that I haven't read yet, but my colleague Trish at our Semiamu store highly recommends is Edward Rutherford's new book, China. He writes these uh, grand, incredibly well-researched works of historical fiction. Uh, my colleague Trish said she's been waiting to read this novel for 10 years, and she just loved it. She devoured it. And what's that one about? It's the early 1800s. It's the opium trade in China. It uh, deals with Western colonization and the Chinese response to that, and just incredibly detailed historical knowledge. Interesting. Have you found people have changed what they're looking for in that they are looking for more kind of escapism writing, some things that maybe aren't as heavy since we are dealing with all of the pandemic stuff in our day-to-day lives? 
To a degree, yes. Yes, I find like we're selling a lot of mysteries, for example, a lot of thrillers, things that are, you know, like you say, escapist, fun things. A lot of people are turning to read science fiction and fantasy as well, which, you know, has has always been a great seller for us. But even more now, people are uh, really expanding their reading horizons to read anything that can take them away to take them away from every day. All right. So are you finding people more drawn to fiction or nonfiction? Definitely fiction. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm still surprised. I found since the beginning of this pandemic, I kind of thought people would be turning a lot more to uh, self-help and mindfulness and, and health and things like that. But it's really been fiction has just taken off. All right. What else are you talking about today? Uh, one of, again, one of my favorites of the last little while, uh, Camilla Gibbs' new novel, The Relatives. She has written quite a few novels. I've read every single one and loved them. And again, this one did not let me down. It's a beautiful, thoughtful exploration of motherhood, fatherhood, relationships. It's uh, three or four intertwined stories that slowly come together. And I don't want to say too more because I don't want to give any spoilers, but it is beautiful. I, I always love books that are set up that way too. And it's so I find it amazing if it's done well, having stories that are woven that way and come together. I always find the reveal can be just so satisfying if you didn't see it all coming or didn't see all the connections and then suddenly it's there. Exactly. Yes. I love it when an author can, can not, not, uh, string me along, but almost string me along for the whole book where I'm just, uh, I know something is going to relate everything together and you just can't wait to find out what it is. It's always such a great reveal. All right. What else is on the list? Uh, John Green has a new book out and people will be familiar with him as a uh, young adult, a teen author, um, The Fault in Our Stars and quite a few others that were excellent. Um, This is nonfiction, uh, adult book, but of course anybody could read it. Uh, The Anthropocene Reviewed, um, which is essays on a human-centered planet. And I I sort of came to this kind of blindly and didn't really know what he was going to be talking about, but um, it's it's amazingly well done. It's very well researched. Uh, it just essays about our current geological age and how humans have impacted the world. And it's essentially a, a big love letter to the earth and the planet. That is not what I was expecting from the author of The Fault in Our Stars. N- me neither. But as it turns out, I've been reading a bit more about him and he's he's uh, does podcasts he's done uh, vlogging he's he's done a lot more than i realize hmm interesting a very interesting title as well yes yes yeah so this one's just fascinating and we actually have autographed copies in all of our stores right now too so if anybody likes that we have them all right are you finding people are drawn they want the new releases and new books or is there also a push for the classics and and things that people maybe in the past hadn't got around to reading a lot of people are going back to reading classics yes i even have some customers tell me they're uh, they're doing one and then one so they'll read a new book or a recent book and then they'll go back and read a classic that they either read you know, in high school or many years ago, or just a classic that they never got to. Definitely people are reading a lot of classics. Interesting. Uh, Tim French, who's our technical producer, just messaged me through the glass to say uh, he bought from Book Warehouse, didn't know you were coming on today, uh, but purchased One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and just finished it. Oh, good. So there yeah. we go. One that uh, I, you know what, I, if, I ha- if I did read that, it was many, many years ago. One of the ones I could go back and reread, I suppose. Exactly. It's it's the kind of book where you, even if you, you don't remember very clearly if you've read it or not, you probably would get so much more from it reading it again. 
All right. Uh, We've got a couple minutes left. What else do you want to put out there as far as if people are looking for that great summer read? So there's a few more that are out uh, recently for people who love, like, the big guys, the favourites. John Grisham has a new book out called Suli. Uh, This is a bit of a departure for him. It is about a young Sudanese athlete who travels to the United States for... uh, for a tournament and uh, war breaks out in Sudan and he ends up having to stay in the United States and he ends up becoming quite a a successful athlete. Again, I find a departure for John Grisham. I don't know anybody who's read this one yet, but if you like his writing, you're sure to like this one. Hmm, Interesting. Okay, that one's called Suli. Uh, What what else is on the list? Uh, Another great mystery out, if you're a Peter Robinson fan, he has a new Inspector Banks mystery out called Not Dark Yet. Uh, So again, if if you've been reading Inspector Banks all this time, the new Peter Robinson is going to be right up your alley. All right. Uh, Do you have a, a final one that you want to share with people? Oh, my gosh, about 10,000 of them. Um, you can do a final two. And, okay. <laughs> uh, oh, one that I really want to mention that our uh, buyer, Gina, read and said was great is Andy Weir, the author of The Martian. He's got a new book out, and it looks like a giant brick. So if you need something to occupy your time, this is it. It's called Project Hail Mary, and it's about a lone astronaut on an impossible mission. And she said it, it harkened back to, to The Martian, which she loved, um, and just a, an excellent escapist book. That one sounds very familiar to The Martian. Yes, it does. And I don't know, like I said, I haven't read it, so I don't know a lot of the details. But I mean, I know Andy Weir does his research, and he is just an excellent writer. All right. And, and I know I'd said final one before. Let's put one more out there for people. Um, can I do one that's not out yet that I'm very excited about? Sure, yeah. Miriam Taves has a new book coming out in the summer. Uh, I believe I want to say it comes out at the. I want to say July, but don't quote me on that. Um, and again, I haven't read it yet, but Miriam Taves, just one of my favorite authors of all times read everything she's written, so I am very excited to read her next novel. All right. I'm a huge fan of her work, too. I'm looking forward to that one coming out. Uh, Just before I let you go, has there been any problem with getting books as far as supply, getting them during the pandemic, or can people come in, obviously, following the protocols and rules, and they're there? Yeah, absolutely. No, at the beginning of the pandemic, for sure, everything slowed down a bit. Everything was, you know, took extra time. But no, we're basically back up to, uh, to regular operations, Aside from, you know, the all the restrictions. Right. Aside from those. Yeah. <laughs> we're right. books in plenty of time. That is great news. Uh, Marianne, we'll leave it there for today. Hopefully we've inspired people if they were wondering what they should read next and didn't know exactly what to pick up. There's some great titles for them. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great weekend. Thank you so much, Jill.